we finally arrive at one of the passages that we love most in the book of Romans, the last verses of chapter 8. Uh, but these last verses are painful. <laughs> That's uh, not what we were looking for. Uh, some of us come here to think about uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, what, what is it that God has done for us. But Paul has a different purpose. Um, let me take you back to Romans 5.1 and following and uh, lay this out. In this section of Romans, that's going from uh, chapter 1 through, verse, uh, through chapter 8, Paul is, is clarifying that we are people who are right with God by faith. And the probable summary of that is in Romans 1, uh, 18. And we paraphrased it a little bit from what you have in your Bible. The, the just by faith shall live. And in effect... Chapters 1 to 4 are demonstrating that we're right with God by faith. Then chapters 5 to 8 begin to describe what the life of those who are right with God is like. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, uh, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's kind of his thesis statement in this whole thing. We have peace with God. Compare that to what we've been looking at in the recent weeks. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. Are you with me? Yeah. We really are at peace with God. If you're in Christ, if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. And that means he's not condemning. He condemned our sin in Jesus. Why would he condemn it in us too? The the payment has been made. How could he exact it again? Are you with me? So, so we have peace with God. But what does it look like to live at peace with God? Well, we, we think we know. Yes? America is an unusual nation in the history of the world for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is we've, we've had... Um, at home, we have had peace for most of our history. And we have been hoodwinked into thinking that peace is the norm for human existence. But it has not been the norm for human existence in all of history. Uh, part, of, part of the peacefulness of American home life, by that I mean within our own borders, has been the fact that there have been two oceans that very difficult to cross for a lot of history, yes? But now that has gone away, and uh, uh, so we're struggling. We, we have people who can get here within hours and bring war to our, to our shores. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah? So we're struggling with this. We're trying to figure this out. And we think because, especially we who, are, who grew up in the United States, we have this tradition of a fairly stable government. Um, there's a lot of horsing around going on that stable, but a fairly stable government. Uh, uh, I, I won't push this, but in the main, we are... Someone chided Charles Spurgeon for sake, to, telling too many jokes in the pulpit, and he said, if you just knew how much I was holding back. <laughs> I, I don't hold back, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to rein that in. Uh, uh, that's flogging a dead horse, so let's go on. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I shouldn't get started. Uh, we... Th because we think we know what peace is, we read Romans 5.1 and then we think, oh, how wonderful. We have peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says going on in, five, in chapter 5, uh, uh, through him we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. And all of that sounds wonderful. Yes? 
I, I, there, are, there are some edits I'd like to make in the Bible. Uh, yeah, there are a few places I'd like to change the text a bit, but I can't. So, he's, yeah, Jan says amen. So he says, verse 3, not only so, but we boast in tribulation. That's the, a nice Bible word. What's a good modern English word? Suffering. suffering. We boast in suffering, knowing that suffering produces approved character. And approved character produces hope. I'm sorry, endurance produces endurance. And endurance produces approved character. And approved character produces hope. And hope doesn't leave us in shame because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. And so I've heard a, a time or two in the last 35 years, I've heard sermons on do you really want to experience the love of God in your life? And the answer is usually yes. We want to. Ex- Are you experiencing the love of God like you'd like to? And our answer often is no. I, I don't really feel that close to God always. I'd love to feel closer. And part of the answer in the sermon is well, then quit running from suffering. Because there is a chain here. Uh, Verse 3, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces approved character. And approved character produces hope. And hope, uh, just, just for clarity's sake, hope in the Bible is confidence about the future. And I can be confident about the future because of the object in whom my hope is placed. The God in whom my hope is placed is always consistent. He never changes. He is good. He is kind. And brothers and sisters, he lives in community. It's hard for people who are not Christians to even enter into this. And even for Christians, it's hard for us to think about the Trinity. How do you even think rightly about the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? But I want us to understand that the Father produces, uh, can, uh, sorry, I can't stock trait. The Father possesses the whole of the divine nature. Yes? And when we talk about the divine nature, we may rightly say, <clears throat> God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So if he doesn't change in his justice, he always condemns unrepentance, and he always approves repentance. Yes or no? Are are you with me here? This this means, though, that the Son also possesses the whole of the divine nature. And of the Son, we may also say, "God, God the Son is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And the Spirit possesses the whole of the divine nature. Yes? So if that's the case, while there are, if I may paraphrase this in a way that's a little bit confusing, there are three who in one what. There are three identities that can be identified within one being. So so I have a father, a son, and a spirit, all three who's in one what, the, the nature and essence of God. Yes? God always lives in community, and since he always lives in community and is always self-consistent, I can place hope in him. I can be confident about the future. This is the point in Romans 3.5. I can be confident about the future because the one in whom my, my hope is placed never changes. His concept of righteousness never changes. His concept of truth never changes. Yes or no? Yeah. All right. So I can have hope. And how, how is that hope expressed? How do I experience it? Through, the, through the, uh, the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Now experientially in verses 3 to 5 I come to uh, 
experience confidence in God, the love of God, especially when I suffer. Yes. Uh, Health-wise or financial or whatever God has planned, even the wicked go through suffering. But we have the gospel of Wall Street, not Madison Avenue. We have the gospel of Madison Avenue, which says suffering is always something to be avoided. And there's all you have to do is buy my product, and you can avoid that suffering. All I was saying is I know, I know what you're saying. No, no, I understand entirely. Uh, but what we've done is we've wedded the gospel of, the, of, of Jesus Christ with the gospel of Madison Avenue, and we think that there's something wrong with suffering. Suffering, again, we're back to our Americanism. We have had life so easy for most, for most of us, many of us, yes or no, that we think that's the norm for human life. In most of world history, most people have lived two to three days from famine. Uh, are you with me? So if that's the case, to have a full belly meant that you're rich. Yes? And, and if you're rich, then you don't have to worry about food. And we don't worry about food. We just worry about what we're going to cook today. <laughs> yes? But we don't worry whether tomorrow we're going to have food. So why don't we worry about these things? What, in, the, in the model prayer, what did Jesus teach his, his disciples to pray for? Give us this day our... Yeah, we always translate it daily, and, and that, it, it, that's probably accurate or to, a, to an extent. There is another way to translate it. Give us this day our necessary bread. Uh, and both are possible, and scholars aren't clear even yet what to make of that word yet, uh, as, of, as of present day. <clears throat> so give us this day our, our necessary bread. I don't, I, I don't have to pray that prayer as a Westerner. Yes? Things are easy. I don't have to suffer. I can take the pill and solve the problem. Yes or no? You see the point? So... So the gospel of Romans is going to be a little bit outside our experience as Christians, as American Christians, because suffering is something we avoid as much as we can. I've, I've said to you before, I can stand anything but pain and temptation. And other than that, I can bear anything. <laughs> so, so if... If pain is that much of a problem, I, I was intrigued hearing Easley talk about uh, the pain that he goes through daily and watching him standing there with such good posture and so strong and such a handsome man and, and, and you think, pain? Doesn't look like pain, but he just has to take the next step. So what I have to do is see, well, what, what does this have to do with being at peace with God? Notice that in Romans 5, 3 to 5, uh, for you who visit, I, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and I know great and wise things most people don't know. And one of the things I know is that verses 3 to 5 follow verses 1 and 2. Amen? So, uh, in, one, in 1, therefore, having been justified with God, we have peace with God then why should suffering be part of that peace? If you love your children, do you make them suffer? Well, sometimes. But not in our day. We've got to protect our children from every kind of pain, every kind of suffering. But that's not being true. It's not being honest with them. It's not even telling them what it takes to grow up. Yes? Yeah. So, let's turn back to Romans 8, verses 18 to 39. We'll not do this whole passage uh, this morning, obviously. <clears throat> Obvious. There's too much in it to do it all in one day. 
But the, the passage, the whole passage is picking up what we've just been talking about in verses 3 to 5 of chapter 5. And is expanding it and explaining it. What does this suffering have to do with our being at peace with God? Well, the passage that began being justified with God, uh, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, uh, includes, and not only so, but we boast in suffering. Yes? Now, the passage that began, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, continues with verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. This is where I would put a period, and I would leave out the rest of the verse, <laughs> but I can't. And Paul says, we, we are joint heirs with God, with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Suffering is part and parcel of being a child of God. Brothers and sisters, you can't be a child of God unless you belong to the crucified one. And if you belong to the crucified one, then how can you escape his lot? And I remind you further of what we've quoted on several occasions in our study in, in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, because broad is the gate, uh, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are who find it. How narrow is the gate, how restricted is the way that leads to life. And I suggested to you in the past that the narrow gate and restricted way is the way that looks like it's going to get you uh, killed. And that appearance is not deceptive. It got the one who initiated the way killed. Then why should we expect that we're going to have a comfortable life the rest of our lives? Um, there's an interesting verse in Colossians 1. Um, Colossians is hard to find. We don't read it very often. But in chapter 1, my, my mentor in Memphis quoted this on many occasions, um, verse 24, <clears throat> now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up, in, in some of our translations read, I fill up what is lacking of the sufferings of Christ in my flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. Um, and that, that verse is troubling in some ways. Is, were, were the, was the atonement not enough in Jesus? Does, does somebody else have to add to the atonement? And the answer is no. That's not what Paul's talking about. But, folks, growth always happens in pain. Don't you remember your teenage years? Growth always happens in pain. Growth always happens in pain. Don't you remember your children's te teenage years? <laughs> Growth always happens in pain. <laughs> and and that, that entails that the leaders of the church are probably going to have to suffer for the church to grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ, as Paul describes it in Ephesians. Am I making sense to you? Um, so if that's the case, we cannot even imagine biblically a way of spiritual growth that does not include suffering. Is this making sense? So he says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Now, notice there are two things there that, that we need to note. One is the suffering, and the second is the, is the uh, glorification. So Paul begins with the latter, verse 18. And uh, the passage is going to break up into several parts. Verse 18 makes a basic statement about suffering. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
Yeah. Pardon? Um, well, it's hard to know. Greek is the most precise language ever in the history of the world, except where it's not. <laughs> and here's one of the places. Could go either way. But it makes a big difference if it says two. Yeah, yeah. Except that Paul's going to develop it as the glory that's all around us and also in us. So it's, it, it surrounds everything that God is doing. So um, uh, there is something that's ahead for you and me that is so marvelous that no suffering is, is to be left out of consideration to achieve it. I uh, was in North Mississippi a number of years ago. On a Sunday, I was preaching Sunday, and mo- and, uh, Sunday morning and evening at a, at a church there. We stayed with, the, for the afternoon, we stayed with a, a family at the church. Uh, they lived on a golf course, so you get, get some idea of <laughs> where they were economically. He said, um, hey, I got something in my car I want to show you. And I said, okay. We went out to the garage. He says, this is the, this is the safest place in the house. His Cadillac, the trunk, had, a, uh, had an alarm on it. So anything that he really needed to keep safe, keep safe, he kept in that trunk. He had invested in the corporation that was hunting for the Spanish galleon, the Atocha. Do you remember this? Yeah. It's a galleon that was sunk probably in the 16th century uh, off the coast of Florida. They finally found it, and he opened it up. And in this massive uh, rolled-up towel, he picked up an 80-pound bar of Spanish silver stamped with the, with the, uh, the seal of the Spanish kings. This is, you know, and he, he handed it to me. And I was standing there with 80 pounds of silver in my hands. Yes? People died to find that treasure. And since it had that, ste- that seal on it, the 80 pounds of silver were, would not even tell you what the value of the thing was. With that seal, it became a whole lot more valuable than the simple silver would be. People are willing to give their lives to get silver and gold. Take, Sacrifice, pardon? Or take lives. Or take lives. And sacrifice their children and their wives and their husbands and their friends and their integrity. Yes? And that perishes. In, in a day when, let's, let's say, that all of the, uh, all of the uh, climate warnings that we are hearing these days are absolutely true and exactly what their warning is is going to happen. <clears throat> let's suppose that uh, Texas becomes a desert. I'm not sure it's not already. But, uh, I'm not a Texan. I'm never going to be a Texan. I've lived here longer than I've lived, not quite longer than I've lived anyplace else. I lived in Oklahoma 20 years. I've only been here 17. <coughs> Unless you count the, the two other times I've lived in Texas, and I don't want to do that. So, But <laughs> I, I'm not a Texan. I'm not going to be a Texan. Oh, Oklahoma's always been on top of Texas. <laughs> you walked right into that one, friend. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I lost my place. Where was I? Treasure. Um, willing to die. Um, oh, Suppose that Texas becomes a desert and there is no water. How much silver will it take to get water? More than any, any of us has. Yes? So silver will be gold, will be useless as far as surviving without water is concerned. So what we've got to figure out, since, since it is inherent in human life, People will sacrifice the dearest things that they have in order to achieve a goal they believe is worthwhile. Then the greatest issue for us is to figure out what the worthwhile goal is. And the worthwhile goal is the one not just that God has set for us, it's the one he has planned for us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
Now, if that's the case, I want to know what the glory is. And Paul doesn't tell us. In part, probably because we're not able to value it adequately. We ended up last week with the comment, all of this is set before us, and I'm still like a child at Christmas playing with the wrappings instead of with the toys that the wrappings encased. Why would I be playing with the wrappings of the present and not really valuing the present? Because I don't have the wit to appreciate that goal that's before us. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But I can say a few things about the glory in this passage here in Romans 8. So verse 18, first, Paul asserts that the glory that awaits us is greater than anything we can even imagine. And no suffering is too much for us to bear if we just had the heart for the plan of God. No suffering is too much for us to bear to achieve it. But then he goes on, verse 19. He describes it indirectly. So here in verse 19, the earnest longing of the creation is awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. Why does it say sons? Because we're given the highest status possible. Uh, We have the same status that Jesus has. Um, I looked to see if it said son or or children, but it says sons here. Um, Now, We've talked about how beautiful this world is, and it is gorgeous. Is it not? Um, Except where man goes, we mess everything up. But uh, I was was looking at pictures of Yosemite Park uh, recently, just this week, in fact, and just marveling at the glory that is Yosemite. And I haven't been to, to Yellowstone, and I haven't been to so many others. Jim? Okay, looked like you wanted to say something. I haven't been to so many of the others, but the Shenandoah Valley I've been to, and it's beautiful, and um, uh, the Rocky Mountains, and I have been in the Alps. They're beautiful, yes? Just You just want to sit and gaze. Um, and yet this is a fallen world. It's under condemnation. What is the world going to look like when it's... Fr- when, it's, when the children of God are revealed in their glory. And he, he carries it out a little further, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to meaninglessness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage into the freedom of the children of God. If this is a, if this is a world in bondage and it has this kind of beauty... And it has this kind of productivity. It, it provides so much for us. Uh, Bruce Waltke was talking about this in a lecture that I have recorded. He said, think about it. How many, how many apples does an apple tree bear in a, in a season? Hundreds and hundreds, yes? He's, he was doing this lecture up in Vancouver where <laughs> they have bears. Uh, and... He said, bears love apples. And God has provided a, 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 um, an overabundant supply of apples to feed the bears. And there are enough apples left over to feed human beings. And still enough apples left over that a lot of them just rot on the ground. Yes? That's a fallen world doing this. What will a world that is freed into the freedom of the children of God look like? Okay, tell, tell them what you were telling me just before we started this morning. your mind to think about dwelling 
Yeah. Yes. What what is this world to be? And if that's what this world is to be, what is the glory that's awaiting us? If it's worth sacrificing your family, it's never worth sacrificing your family for wealth. But if anyone can conceive that it's worth sacrificing a family for wealth that that flies away in a moment, you remember 2008. Yes? What happened to your 401k? You lost about 30 to 50% of it. Yes? Well, what, what happens when we have another 2008? If it's worth considering sacrificing your family for wealth, for mere wealth, what is it worth sacrificing to get to the glory that awaits us? Fred? And not precisely. Cosmos in John has to do with uh, primarily with the fallenness of the world. And uh, this has to do with the, with the new creation that God's going to bring to pass. So uh, the, the old world of John has to be judged and dealt with so that the new world of our present passage can, can be ushered in. So there's no direct relationship between the two. But if this is what the glory is... What glory awaits us? And what price is worth bearing to achieve it? I'm not here talking about buying your way into that, into that world. I'm just saying, if hardship comes to us as believers, don't we need to forearm one another about that hardship? Tell each other, it's coming. And it may be, sometime maybe we ought to deal with Job. I don't know whether we've dealt with Job in this class or not. One of the things that you learn from Job is that suffering can be a a way of silencing the charges that Satan levels against God. Because Satan says to God, does Job serve God for nothing? What does for nothing mean? Get nothing out of it. Haven't you set a hedge around him? And you bless everything he does? But if you would stretch forth your hand and take away everything he has, he would curse you to your face. God isn't worthy of worship unless he blesses. And if he stops blessing, nobody would worship him. Is is Satan's charge. Are you with me here? Uh, so, shouldn't we be preparing each other for hardship? What kind of hardship? In this passage, we're going to talk a lot about suffering, uh, all the way to the end of the passage, all the way to the end of verse 39. <clears throat> and in that, the question is going to come up, is this not going to be suffering for the sake of Christ? And the answer is, it's included, but it's not, it's not exclusive of, of anything else. <clears throat> I, I can only speak personally, but uh, as a redeemed Christian, much of the suffering <laughs> that I've experienced in life was trying to be good enough. <laughs> yeah. Stupid suffering because I'm I'm adding to my own pain. That's right. My fault is yes. And I'm sitting here looking at Paul. He's saying in that statement up there on the screen, faith compensates for suffering. But when he was Saul. He said, wealth is the way God yeah. favors a person. Now he's saying suffering is the way God favors uh-huh. I mean, it's like what this man has gone through, his, his, his change of thought. It's radical. It's radical. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, by, by the word, and I'm, I'm thinking about the word radical in the sense that it has etymologically, it has the word root in it. It's at the root of the whole thing. Uh, so the so here this, this shift in the way you think. If, if that's the glory that's ahead, and if it's that great, if it's that marvelous, 
then, back to verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. It's not that I must suffer to be glorified, it's that to be a disciple of Christ means embracing suffering. John? In 817, it seemed like that context is suffering because of following Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so because of uh, uh, all that we read in the Old Testament. Uh, Job suffers medically not because he is, um, he is uh, uh, facing persecutors in the human race. He, he has a, a divine persecutor, not, not a divine, he has a supernatural persecutor, um, Satan. You do too. Uh, so how do you know, Job, what was the primary physical suffering that he faced? Boils. boils. Do you know anything about the significance of that word boils in the Old Testament? You do, but you just don't realize it. Well, it's not precisely leprosy. It's, uh, it's the, it, it was the judgment, one of the judgments on Egypt in the ten plagues, but it's also one of the curses of the covenant in Deuteronomy 28. So if Israel violates the commandments, one of the things God's going to do is put, put upon them from the head to the foot the boils of Egypt. So Job is being treated like an enemy when he's no enemy. He is a friend of God. Why? Because God's honor is greater than anything else that I can pursue. And when I pursue the honor of God, and this is the most astonishing thing to me, I can't quite get over this. When I pursue the honor of God, he honors himself through me and then honors me in the process. That's shocking. I've had, I had an occasion this Friday to meet a group of people and a co-laborer with me at the seminary introduced me. And the way he described me... Um, was gratifying, <laughs> um, but it was all God's work. Am I making any sense to you at all? Uh, I didn't. Much of what he described came through a great deal of hardship, and I thought I wondered whether God was in my being at Dallas Seminary or not. Does he want me here? If he wants me here, why? What's he trying to do to me? Uh, there, there was a significant period of those early years when I wondered, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. So, so why does God leave me here? And he began to honor that. He, he began to, let me say it differently. He, began, he was honoring it already. But he began to make it obvious in, uh, in about the fifth year of my stay at the seminary. Um, God, when, when you pursue the honor of God, he honors himself through you and then honors you in the process. Why does Moses get all the honor he gets in the Old Testament? Do you remember the most, the most glorious thing about Moses in his lifetime when he came down from the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. Do you remember this? But it was with the glory of God. <laughs> God honored his servant as he honored himself. And that may come through with Job, physical suffering, that comes to you not because of persecution from non-believers, but because, you, because of your commitment to God. And so... Later, in other places, Paul talks about suffering for the sake of Christ. Here, he's just going to talk about suffering. Uh, but, but why then should the children of God suffer? Well, folks, look again at verses 19 and 20 and 21. We live in a fallen world. <laughs> this is a world that's, not, that's under the judgment of God. It is not constructed presently to honor people who pursue the glory of God. God will use it. 
for that goal, but that's not its purpose. It's under the condemnation of God. It's under his judgment. The world, the people around us, are enemies of God. Yes? Well, when you're a soldier behind enemy lines out of uniform during warfare, what happens? You're treated as a spy, and any kind of suffering they can heap upon you is acceptable. Why should we think that living in a fallen world with a fallen race of humanity, things would be easy? So, so we not only have the fallen human race against us, we have the fallen, can I call it a race of angels, who are against us. And how do you know with Job when you have a headache that it isn't some attack of Satan to call into question the glory, the honor of God in your life? How do you know when you catch cancer you don't have an attack of Satan to call in question your love for God? Am I making sense to you? How do you know when your family begins to fall apart that Satan's not involved because of your love for Christ? So all suffering, indeed, in this passage we shall see shortly, the most famous verse in this passage, which is 28, says... All things work together for good. What are the all things that work together for good in this passage? Sufferings. So we're back to Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only so, but we boast in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces approved character. And approved character produces, I'm sorry, I I keep leaving out endurance. Suffering produces endurance. And I don't want want endurance. I just want to get there. (laughs) Suffering produces approved character. <clears throat> Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces approved character. Approved character produces hope. Hope doesn't make a shame because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So, verse 22. For we know that all the creation is groaning together and is travailing together until the present time. As you drive home this, this afternoon... Look at the world around you. It's groaning. Longing for you to be revealed as the children of God. What is the glory that awaits us? But this is only the first description of the glory. There are two more. Verse 23. Not only so, but we we ourselves as well who have the first fruit of the Spirit... We ourselves groan within ourselves while we await the adoption, that is, the redemption of our bodies. Redemption of bodies? Yes? Redemption of bodies? Yes? Are you with me? Uh, I, I cupped my hand to my ear. I've got congestion. Um, you know the old saying? Maybe T- TB or not TB, that is congestion. Consumption be done about it. Uh, the, 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 why do we have these, these ailments? Why do we have these limitations? Why do we have aging bodies? Because of sin. Not our own personal sin. Most of the time. You know, you have to ask yourself if these prosperity creatures I heard a fellow 40, 50 years ago uh, who was talking about his mother. She grew up in a, uh, she was in a group that believed that God's will is always healing. It's, it's never for you to be ill. And he was a Dallas Seminary graduate, so he's saved. But uh, that was a joke, and Oldridge and a few of you got it. But I, uh, uh, he would go to her and say, Mom, look, look what the Scripture says about hardship and suffering. She'd say, yes, yes, I know, and I believe that. And then he said I would leave, and she would, she would fall on her knees and plead with God, what sin have I committed that I'm having to go through this illness? Why won't you reveal the sin? You know why God won't reveal the sin to you? It's not because he's cross with you, because you didn't have it. God intends, 
in a fallen world that his, that his children will, will show the honor and glory of God by trusting him in the midst of any and every hardship. So what does this mean? When I get a headache, am I to quit taking, uh, no longer take an aspirin? No, go take an aspirin. When the headache doesn't go away, take an Excedrin. <laughs> when the Excedrin doesn't solve the problem, take an Excedrin uh, maximum strength. And when that doesn't solve the problem, go to the doctor. When the doctor can't solve the problem, trust, trust God. I, I woke up the other morning. I have two friends, two good friends, friends that I've known for uh, one fellow for 30-plus uh, years. They both have cluster headaches. Um, I don't know the right term for it, but cluster headache is good enough. They are, they are also known as uh, uh, suicide headaches. Uh, people, a significant percentage of people who have them commit suicide because the pain is so bad. And I woke up the other morning thinking about Larry and Noy. And, Lord, what, what is in your mind that you would let your... And, and both of these men are um, committed to the Lord, deeply committed to the Lord, love him deeply. What's in your mind that you would let people like this go through these things? Don't you ever wonder about things like that? Yes or no? Yes. We had a friend in, in Memphis named Therese. Therese, a uh, young woman, uh, lost her husband after one year of marriage in a sudden uh, viral attack to the heart muscle, and he was gone within 10 minutes. Um, she, they were both in their 30s. Her dad and her mother and her brother had all died of cancer. I think I'm right on that. Mother had and her dad did later, and I've forgotten all the detail of it. But she contracted cancer not many years later. She was talking to a, a mutual friend, uh, and uh, his name is Wayne. Therese said to Wayne, I, I'm just so worried. And he said, are you worried about the pain? Is the pain too much for you? She said, no. He said, well, what's, what's wrong? She said, I'm just worried that in the pain, I will bring dishonor to God. That's, what, that's all God's looking for, brothers and sisters. Do you not realize how honoring to God it is to you for, for you to trust him when there's no obvious reason to trust except the mere word of God and his promises. That's incredibly honoring. It's one of the most valuable things you can do as a child of God, is to trust him regardless of the cost that it, that it means to you. So he says, we ourselves groan within ourselves while we await the adoption, that is, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse uh, 24, for we're saved in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. What's his point? We're saved with a future that we're headed to. We're living in light of a future that doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense for people to confess Christ as they're facing uh, martyrdom for the faith. To the world, it makes no sense. But for anybody who has known God, it makes perfect sense. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, er, in one of the early chapters, it may be the first one, said he was walking with a, a friend who had been dismissed from his professor's position at a university in England because of his faith in Christ. And he said, we were walking together and we were talking, and my friend said to me, but it's all right, because I have known God and they haven't. So what does it mean to be at peace with God? Folks, if you're at peace with God, you're at war with the world. And if you're at war with the world, you must expect hardship and suffering. The worst thing we can do is to leave you without that message. And so I, I think maybe I mentioned to you in recent weeks the missionary who came home from China, and they said, if you could go back and do anything, this was back in the 1940s when the communists took China over. They said, uh, is there anything you wish you could go back and do differently? He said, yes, we did not prepare the people to suffer. Because it doesn't matter whether a major persecution breaks out in America or not. 
suffering is coming. I have found that when I'm invited to preach at a church, if I preach on suffering, I'm going to hit all the people because you're either coming out of it or you're going into it or you're in the middle of a vacation. <laughs> the one way or the other. Are you with me here? Yes. The, the, no one that you meet as a child of God is, is, is outside of suffering. Um, so the, the great point of this passage is to say the children of God who are at peace with God suffer. And this is part of his plan. And it is part of his plan to honor himself and then to honor his people. First in the midst of the suffering. Uh, was it Peter and John, I think, were brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts? They were, uh, they were uh, beaten for their faith. And as they left the Sanhedrin, they went away rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for the sake of the name. So the issue for us is, yeah, we are at peace with God. But that put us at war with the world. If we were at peace with the world, that would put us at war with God. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for this dear passage. It is so bracing to us. It's frightening. There are things that terrify us that we can imagine that you could call us to do. Remind us, Father, that if you call us to such things, you will provide the grace to sustain them. Now, Father, uh, prepare us for such times. Make us strong. Give us steel in our, in our backbones. Give us an iron will. Because we have known you, because we have known the work of Jesus, because we have known the forgiveness of sins, because we have known the love of the Father, then cause us to be people who stand for you, may fall for you at some point, but in falling we will gain our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.